Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. This is Superlative, a podcast about watches, the people behind them, and the worlds that inspire them. Spending time with the Blog to Watch community and the stories we discover. Let's get started. Hey everyone, Ariel Adams here with the Superlative Podcast. Today my guest is David Breden. He is a senior editorial member of the Blog to Watch team. And we're going to talk a little bit about New Year's resolutions, watch collecting New Year's resolutions. We did an article on blogtowatch.com several days uh, prior to the recording of this and just before uh, the end of the year on December 29th, 2021. We basically wrote an article called Our Watch Collecting Resolutions for 2022. And in that article, uh, myself and David and a few other members of the Blog to Watch editorial team discussed our New Year's resolutions. And after that, the community weighed in and there's like something like 80 comments. And I thought, what an interesting topic. So I guess I'll start. David, what are what are some of your New Year's watch collecting resolutions for 2022? Yeah. Hey, everyone. Yeah, this is this uh, writing this article was a great opportunity to reflect back on the decisions I've made in uh, in 2021 with regards to watch collecting and purchases and sales and stuff. And and what is it that I would like to take with me onto the new year? And what is it that I would like to do differently? And uh, yeah, well, the thing that's been um, brewing in my mind for the last few years, actually, and it's really um, uh, becoming something that I'm, you know, that I'm dedicated to in 2022 is to not make any impulse purchases because I've made a few over the years. Um, some, you know, most of them were inexpensive in a way like G-Shocks and stuff. And very few were more expensive, like the, uh, Shashara Navis's diver that I had for like a year or two, which I really liked. And, you know, even, even with impulse purchases, I tried to be, uh, yeah, reasonable and make a safe purchase in the sense that I would love to, be able to uh, recover uh, most of my investment, if at all possible. I'm not looking to make money on it, but you know, it, it would be great if I didn't lose like thousands on a watch, because uh, you know, that's just <laughs> the way um, the math adds up. But yeah, for 2022, my goal is to, not, to continue making uh, basically no um, impulse purchases and rather aim for something that would be a keeper for life. Preferably. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah, so so that's that's the sort goal. of the way I've always been, right? You get married to your watches for the most part. Yeah, exactly. It, and it's it, you know, I, I, I when I was writing this segment for the article, I realized that you know these are basically in my mind a tiny little bit like tattoos, like they are timestamps from different periods of your life. And if you sell that watch, then you know you, you lose that timestamp. So I, I figured you know it would be great to have you know, from different periods, different watches that, that would be like, yeah, that was me when I was 32, or yeah, that was me when I was 28 or 35 or whatever. You know, I was reading what a lot of the commenters said and what other people on the team said. And of course, people said different things, but a lot of people said what you said or some type of variation on it, uh, where I saw things like cool. um, be smarter about purchases or less excess or be a little bit more responsible uh, or less is more, or just this whole variety of being a little bit more of a prudent uh, watch collector. Now, I understand that from a collector standpoint, especially given the economics of the period right now, is nobody wants to feel like they're wasting money, people are insecure. It is a, it is a conservative time. But looking at it from a watch industry 
you know, perspective, this is a dangerous concept because people making impulse buys on watches is what makes the industry go around, is what essentially pays the bills at a blog to watch. If people aren't buying watches, if people are sitting around being like, I got to get the perfect watch, like, you know, as well as I do, there's no perfect watch. And there's going to be a watch in the future that comes out that you like. And there's going to be past watches that you think about. Something about buying watches more freely is actually a little bit more beneficial to the hobby. So even though I completely empathize and understand with the consumer, and oftentimes I side with the consumer, can you see how I would feel that that trend, if it continues, might be bad for the industry that we work within? Absolutely. I, I see your point. I think in a way, I, I think we are in, in, a, in a very peculiar, peculiar situation in the sense that you know, we see thousands, if not tens of thousands of watches during our career here. I mean, um, you know, over the last nine years with a block too much, I've seen easily thousands of them. And that means thousands of impulses. And, and you know, even, for example, one of the ways that I enjoy watches and I get to know watches is through editing my images. Because I zoom in, I crop in, I, you know, I, um, I look at them in, in incredible yeah, detail. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And in that way, I get to know them in, in ways that people, you know, they have to come to our website and they have to read all the articles. But, but you know, obviously not everyone reads all, every single article that I've written, right? So, but I, I have, I have seen all those pictures and I have gotten in some way closer to those watches and understood them. And so for that reason, I feel like I don't have to buy it to experience it. And that's a very, very uh, special place to be in some ways. And from a um, greater consumer perspective, I can totally understand that you have to go out, you have to wear it, you have to experience it for like a year or two, and then, you know, just move on. And, you know, to your point, Ariel, I think something that the industry could be doing better is making it easier for you to get rid of your watch that you've had for like a year or two. Like the car industry, I think, is doing a much better job and the watch industry is basically doing nothing when it comes to certified pre-owned and, you know, bigger brands taking uh, back your purchase and, you know, um, accounting that in and helping you, you know, put that uh, amount towards another purchase from the it's, brand. It's definitely something that is happening slowly and I'm really glad Very you brought slow. it up. Yeah. Look, it's it's something that you and I have talked about, and we've talked about solutions, and I have ideas for that. There's a lot of different ways to get there, but you're right. If people don't have like loads and loads of disposable income and feel that they can buy as many watches as they want without any, you know, like major financial repercussions, the only solution to what we're talking about is you can be conservative in buying because you know you can offload an unwanted purchase. You don't have to feel as though you are permanently married to every single watch, which is scary financially for a lot of people. And just to sort of respond to what you said at the beginning, you and I are in a special position. We get to handle so many watches. It's a lot easier for us to say, ah, we're only going to buy what we really like because we know what we like because we've seen a lot of stuff. Most people yeah. don't have that opportunity and access to wear as many watches as we do and just test stuff out that, we really never have to buy. We're just like, okay, I wore it for a few weeks. I do like it, but I'm okay never spending money on it. But I'm really glad I had that opportunity. Most people wouldn't be able to do that. And um, you know, if you could trade a watch away in, in one way or another a little bit more easily, that would be a good solution. So, okay, so let's talk more about the resolutions and things like that. What are some other you know New Year's resolutions that you see as being on trend for 2022? Well, something I've seen come up is... Uh 
not feeding the beast of uh, you know um, over retail pricing, which I think is you know a natural um, consequence. Having seen you know the the global sentiment in you know when it comes to checking comments on social media and on our site, people are just fed up with it. And you know sometimes the temptation is large because you, there's a piece that you would actually want to own and you've been you know out to buy and you know saving up for. And then the time comes and you would want to reward yourself with that watch. And then you realize that there's an, you know, basically an eternally long waiting list for that. And then, oh, well, you still want to reward yourself. So you go and you pay not six grand or seven grand, but 12 grand or 15 grand for a watch. And I've seen, you know, the people are just, just fed up with that, with that system and the way that it works. And they will just take their money elsewhere. But, you know, that's a good resolution because I think that there still is temptation to go out and pay you know whatever you see fit you know somewhat over retail for a watch which you know i think it takes a a resolution to say no i'm not going to pay over retail for anything so i've said the mantra for more than a year now maybe two years now friends don't let friends spend more than retail on a watch you know this is a bit of a joke but also you know a pretty serious thing and context is important to understand how we got here the situation is this. There are certain popular watches and brands. There's mostly certain models. There's, I don't know, not that many of them, two dozen, three dozen watches really that are very difficult to get. Uh, they trickle into the market and they're gobbled up really fast. And they're often gobbled up by dealers that want to resell them. This happens a lot <clears throat> these days with the internet where you have some good, often it's fashion or some collectible, which is hot. And someone who's like a scalper uh, will purchase it in order to resell it, of course, for a profit. And therefore, uh, multiple products might be sold online at the same time over retail. It's not that people are buying it. Some might be. That's a different discussion. But people are definitely pricing things over retail. And this has hit the watch industry in a really, really big way where there's a lot of watches out there that are priced at a higher than retail price. These are brand new watches. And the reason that they're asking more than retail is because they can, because it's a, an unregulated marketplace and they can do whatever they want. But consumers see this and it sort of normalizes it. And the watches are, truthfully, difficult to get at retail for that price. So the dealers know that they have a hot commodity there and there's this temptation to buy over retail. Some people have I don't know how much it happens, but you know, I think you and I can agree there's probably been a watch lover out there who has spent a few grand more on that Rolex because he or she has wanted it, um, even though they wouldn't necessarily admit to their friends that they did so. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm not, I'm not, you know, putting blame on anyone for for spending over. I'm just saying I understand why they would do it because you know these are purchases that you know a lot of a lot of us have been planning for years and been aspiring for years when it was a different world. And the time comes and then you go into the boutique and then you realize, oh, okay, so this is this is the new reality now. And <clears throat> here in Budapest, for example, where there's just one Rolex boutique for the entire country, I mean, it's a 9.5 million population country, Hungary, but, you know, there still is just one official Rolex boutique in the entire country. And people in November and, of course, through December were queuing on the streets. There was a literal queue outdoors outside of the Rolex boutique basically every single time when I went when I went past it and uh, I have a few friends in there and they said you know it's it's been it's been crazy the demand there's a line outside of yes. the Rolex store because the because yeah, all the uh, sales positions and all the desks and all, all the sales staff is occupied indoors and they have like four or five 
um, you know, positions in there. So, you know, there are like five, four or five um, customers can be inside at the same time. They don't even have enough inventory for that. And yet people go there and queue through November and December. And 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 for what? To tr- are they trying things on? Maybe there's, there's a lot of that as well. You know, they want to buy stuff. Well, let's talk about why that might be. And this is another part of people's resolutions that goes back to this concept of wanting to buy for different reasons. Is 2021 and 2022 degree, and maybe a big part of 2022, mm. is all about what people are calling the flex watch. And the idea is a watch that allows you to flex. Essentially, it's a sort of slang term for showing off Mm. demonstration of power and money and wealth. And it's not really about liking watches, right? It's more about the flex. And so a watch that signifies this must have been really difficult or expensive to get. Either you're highly connected or important or very, very wealthy, Mm. it's not watch-appreciating behavior, but it's a watch serving as a symbol of something else. And that other thing, like I said, is related to money or power. And so would you agree or disagree that in addition to, you know, watch appreciation collecting, there has been a flex culture that has intermingled within our ranks for better or worse? I, I just the only thing I don't don't understand about what you're saying is how is this new for 2021 or 22 or 2020? I think since the renaissance of the luxury watch market in the, in the 1990s or you know late 1980s, but I should say 1990s, I think that's been the case. I mean, it's it's been better and worse. But if you if you look at you know the popularity of Panerai in the 90s and the 2000s, or Audemars Piguet, the Royal Oak, and and all these other things. I think, you know, a big part of that was not neurological appreciation or anything like that. It was just flexing. So again, I, I would love to hear how how these days are different to, to those days. I guess you're right. It's always been a little bit there, but it's been amplified. And how has it been amplified? It's been amplified because the flex says so much more than before. The flex doesn't say I have a $10,000 watch. The flex might say I have a million-dollar watch or a $100,000 watch or, or you know something like that. The flex is I don't care that I had to spend double. I just thought it was cool to have. I don't have to worry about that. Plus, the flex watches used to be a very small amount of pretty elite timepieces here or there that you know, pretty much anyone could buy if they wanted to. Now, because of the amplification effect of the internet being able to gobble up all available inventory very, very quickly around the world, you actually have a rarity um, element, whereas you never really had before. It was like, wow, they had the, they had the courage to spend $100,000. Now it's like, Oh, they were able to buy, find one of those hundred thousand dollar things. Like even even you know being able to have the opportunity to buy it is is an exclusive flex. So I think that it's you know and it's also made buying a lot of watches impossible. And again, that's been something which has kind of been the case, but on a very limited basis. It was very rare that you really just couldn't buy a watch for years and years because it was so popular among people that were flexing with it. So I would say that's how it's different. It's just the the magnitude, if you will, that's been going on now. Right. And I would add to that another um, component of the Internet, which is social media, because right now, you know, you, you don't. You, you can't really travel to posh places or, or show off that you are there or here or, or you have access to these different events and stuff. But, you know, you are basically um, in the confines of your home or, or your hometown or whatever. 
but you want to flex. You want to show off that you have connections, you have, you have, uh, you, you know, you have money to spend. And, you know, a great way of that is just to rocking a watch. You know, maybe you're just having coffee on your terrace or wherever, but you're wearing the Nautilus that no one can buy. And you just paid, you know, $100,000 for a watch that retails for 27 or 28,000, you know? So, so it's, it's, it's an escapism in a sense that I have to show off because that's how I maintain my social status. But I can do that, you know, through the ways that I used to do it, which is travel, etc. So I have to do that in some other creative ways. And, and that's where watches have, I think. You're, you're right. I mean, whatever you can show off on Instagram, which affords you the same level of status of, oh my gosh, the, you know, they had this party, they went on this trip or whatever. It, the watch represents that. It's even easier to show off than a car or your home. You know, it, it's, yeah. it's just so much more direct. And I think that's a very, very valid point. And at the same time, you know, I'm looking at the comments right now in the article, and a lot of people are saying, you know, so-and-so, you know, Ben on the team, so-and-so, uh, they had it right when they told everyone that no one cares what you're wearing on your wrist, which, again, in, and from a different perspective is true, but it's actually the complete opposite of what we're talking about. There <laughs> are a lot of people yeah. who care very much about what's on your wrist, and it means a lot. Mm. I think what these people are talking about is in terms of taste. People are open-minded to the fact that you might be wearing something different or out of the ordinary in the sense that you aren't going to be judged based upon what you're wearing on your wrist. And I, I think that's really important. You will Something will be deduced about you. It will be communicated that you have a lot of money if you're wearing um, a popular, difficult-to-get Rolex. This we know. But if you're wearing something else, no one's going to be like, oh, do, do they not have good taste? Because I don't know what that is. Uh, so I, I, think, I think that both sides are right, but they're saying different things. What do you think? I think that's a very smart interpretation of what that commenter was saying. Because it's not that, not that people don't care. It, they, they very much care, but they don't judge. You know, you can wear whatever. It's not a world anymore where, oh, you're wearing this, you know, then, then, then I you know, disproved that or whatever. But yeah, you can choose whatever. If you go to a restaurant wearing like a $50 G-Shock, you know, you, you'll likely, you know, get the same kind of service if you, you know, behave yourself and, you know, you, you, whatever. The way you present yourself sometimes matters more than rocking like a diamond clad Rolex, you know, so and being a very unpleasant guest at the same time. So, you know, these, these things have really changed big time uh, in the sense that, you know, yes, people are less judgmental in terms of what you're wearing. But at the same time, if you do actually choose something that you want people to see and notice, they feel it's not that they don't care. They totally care. And they will, uh, you know, you can still convey a message with the watch that you're choosing, but you, you, you will not be judged. And, and that sounds like a contradictory statement. But at the same time, the way you explain it to me, just then, um, yeah, I could understand what you were saying. It's just interesting because if you are a casual enthusiast of watches and you read a blog to watch and you look at social media, you're seeing all these opinions that, unless you look deeper, not only contradict one another, but are impossible to all follow at the exact same time. Mm. And so if you're just trying to like hear what the experts think, you're going to like, your head's going to explode. I feel so bad. <laughs> I mean, and we, but we've told people like, you need to be a really mature watch collector to be on social media and know what to ignore. Wow. Yes. Right? Social media is not a good... Yeah. If you want to, to buy watches based on social media, you will buy watches for social media. 
not for yourself or for the you know the, the the enjoyment of the watch or whatever its purpose will be defined and its and its uh, effectiveness in a way and its value will be defined by social media not how nice that watch is or how nice it is to wear or what it gives you on a daily basis or whatever it's just within the dimensions of of social media you can show it off people will envy you or will say like oh you know you were early with that, you knew where the market was going, or you just have a lot of money to spend or whatever, or you have good connections, etc. But, you know, uh, I understand that we spend more and more time on social media, or at least some of some some of uh, us out there do. But, you know, what? how much time is that? Like an hour of your time, or, of your day, or like half an hour or whatever. But the rest of the time, you're alone with that watch, or, you know, your friends will see it, your colleagues will see it, or whatever, but not social media. And yet you bought that watch for that one hour per day. Because that's where we get our, well, you know. Okay, uh, Let, let's let's explore this a little bit. Because yeah. I think a lot of people want to do less of this in 2022, but they're just, they can't help themselves. So let's look at the whole social media popularity thing. You have the fancy watch, and you publish it on Instagram, and people see it, and they like it, and they comment. And, you know, that those likes and that commentary feeds your ego. But then... That starts to get boring, right? Like after a while, people thinking that your watch is really cool, it starts to get old. So Very soon. you're not going to make money being, you know, insta famous most of the time unless you start to sell your opinion, and then no, it's no longer fun. It becomes a job. So the question is, if you become, you know, Instagram famous and aren't doing it to be like a opinion mercenary influencer, what is the end goal? And the end goal would appear to be real-world benefits, uh, invited to real-world events and parties and, and better social life, which right now, currently during the pandemic, really, really doesn't happen. And so what I'm seeing is like a sort of logical ceiling or end of the road, if you will, for these people whose goal is social media popularity. Because again, if they don't want to become an influencer, the only thing they can do with that popularity is translate it into real world popularity, which isn't really available right now. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, that's 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 a wormhole in itself, you know, social media, social media based purchases. And again, just you know, circling back to where we're coming from here, this still has managed and was powerful enough to to in a big way, you know, uh, induce this this spike in the uh, pricing of certain luxury watches. Uh, you know, no, it's not because they are, you know, a Patek Philippe Nautilus is not a $100,000 watch. If you go and look at how much effort goes into a Lange Zeitwerk, and that's just off the top of my head, for like 60K or 70K or $100,000, and you compare that to Nautilus, I'm not saying a Nautilus is a bad watch, but it's not a $100,000 watch. And yet, here we are, and that's the asking price if you go online. You know, and that's only because if you show off and you have this, it's like I have it and you don't have it. And that's one of the, the definitions of luxury that, you know, it's limited supply. I get that. But at the same time, it's in my mind, it's just incredibly dumb to spend $100,000 on something that is basically just a status item. And let's say you like watches and let's say you, you're like, oh, yeah, but the Nautilus is, is the best design ever and it's my favorite watch ever. So I have to go out and I have to have it because I like it so much. I think at the at the time you have to expand your horizons a little bit, and you realize that oh my god, I'm spending this much money on that watch because the the moment when I started to like that watch, it was it, it cost twenty seven thousand or thirty thousand, or if I'm talking about let's say a GMT, it it costs like eight eight thousand dollars, but now it's fifteen. So you you gotta meet into, me in the middle here as a as a good capitalist. You gotta yeah. meet me in the middle, like. 
if you take your discussion to a logical, you know, a logical end, then you're like, well, we don't need to buy any of this stuff. Like something about our existence has to facilitate or encourage feel good purchases. Like we have to encourage this behavior. Like there is no watch industry if there aren't feel good purchases for one thing. And second, those are the things that make you feel good. Buying something you don't need that just makes you feel good is like a goal. It's like a lifestyle goal to be able to buy as much stuff that you don't need that just makes you happy and just to hoard it, you know, as much as you can. Like, not to be crude about it, but that's what a lot of us men want to do is have disposable income to buy toys. And so what's the middle ground behind, you know, promoting that but making sure you don't buy the quote unquote wrong toys at the wrong price? Yeah, the middle ground is, is what I was going to say, is that you just realize that you are in a different price segment now, and you start shopping in that price segment. So, you know, if you had a budget of 8000 and then you, you said, oh, okay, but the watch that I wanted is now 15000 in the gray market or the second-hand market, so to speak, and I have to spend fifteen grand for the watch that I like for eight, then you should just realize that and tell yourself, hey, I'm about to spend fifteen grand. You know, what else can I get for that kind of money? And you realize that, wow, for twice the price that I originally was going to spend, I'm in a different ballpark here and I have different options. And I'm not okay. saying you don't have to spend that 15000 I'm saying you have to open your horizons a little bit because maybe you will find something that is going to be a better product because it, it retails for twice the money that you were actually going to spend. It makes sense what you're talking about. I get it for sure. Do you think that it's funny that nobody has as a, New Year's resolution said, I want to spend less time on social media. Like, I don't think I saw anybody say that, but I wonder how many people feel that. Um, where did you not see that? In our article or elsewhere? Well, I mean, look, we, we published this on social media and we mm. published it, you know, on our mm. site, of course, and in other places. And, you know, people talk about it. No one even joked about like, well, what I want to do less in 2022 is, is hear what other people who like watch this think. Like, I'm just, I think it's funny that I didn't actually see anybody say that, even though, to degree, I think some people are sick of it. Maybe it's because people, you know, like other watch collectors because it's a real friend group. You know, it's yeah. you know, it's it's kind of a we're a strange demographic of people. Uh, some of <laughs> us are either, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of people who have social challenges, and we're just people who just naturally live you know slightly isolated lives. I think that like the annoying part of other watch collectors is like muted or deafened, deafened out a little bit by the fact that it's like, oh, like-minded people, friend, friend, friend. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's... And that's, so, like, Instagram's a connection of, like, buddies. Yeah. Yeah, and the same taste and the same... Yeah, it's... it's. I think that's where we come into the picture. I mean, if you scroll through the block to watch your account, you will see an, an immense variety of watches, you know, and that, that is a good way of, of uh, uh, expanding your horizon. And that's something I do, for example, with, with cars. You know, I send my... some. I have a few car enthusiast buddies and I just send them, oh, look at this car. And they say, oh, well, no, I was not thinking about that, but let's, let's, let's look at it that way. Maybe, maybe it's something that can go on the, you know, the bucket list some, someday or something like that. So, you know, and, and in that moment, I'm not a content producer. I'm, I'm a content consumer and, you know, it helps expand my horizon. So that's where we come into the picture and not, you know, just following collectors who follow like the same kind of, uh, or have the same kind of watch. I mean, there are some guys who have accounts for just one watch, you know, and sometimes I look at it, I'm like, I'm sure that there's value to that, but, but I, just, <laughs> I just don't know. I, like literally the 200th picture of the same steel bracelet Rolex watch. I'm like, wow, that's dedication. I think that's actually what 
keeps people part of these social communities despite all the negative things we can say and the ways that it can influence you as a collector in too many bad ways is the fact that it's just there's really no other way to discover new ideas or watches easily like the magazines don't really exist in the same way that they used to where it's just sort of i mean like a blog to watch is basically it but like what i'm saying is the non-opinionated places to learn about new products because when we started we saw these magazines there's no opinions in the magazines there's like here's a hundred new watches we're gonna say they're all great you figure it out (laughs) (laughs) so you know watch groups seems to be the only place where you can learn about new brands and new models with some semblance of an opinion as a starting point. Because let's be honest, if you're into watches and you don't you know, know what you're doing, you could buy a lot of really bad things really easily. And it's been so long since you have, I ha- have done that. Do you remember what it was like a little bit to be a novice and just not knowing what you were doing? Um, yeah, I remember. I actually remember those days quite fondly, actually, because it was like, oh, okay, so this is how it works. So this is totally not how that works. You know, like discovering ETA movements for the first time, like, hey, you know, this this thing is called like the Panerai OP whatever. And then here it's called the Longines whatever, L dot whatever else. And it's the same movement, you know, and then you realize, okay, where is this all coming from? And it, to me, that was a very exciting um um, period, but yeah, I, I had to uh, exercise great caution not to buy something that was, you know, that was totally not worth that much. And I, I, I for long wanted to write an article, but I'm just not not sure how to go about it. But to go online and, and shop for luxury watches that are available today at the at the biggest discounts, like 70, 80 percent. And I'm not talking about fashion watches. I'm talking about actual luxury watches that if you had bought, you know, 10 years or 15 years ago, you would be losing tens of thousands of dollars on them. Um, and that's yeah, because, yeah. you know, that's, you know, <laughs> it's easy to make a big mistake, um, especially in the, in the noughties and, and the, and, and the teens, you know? Yeah. And, and that's actually, I just wanted to end this particular segment before we talk about the next topic is going back to what I said is my new year's resolution. It was basically giving everyone advice to just buy watches from companies that want your money. <laughs> and this is somewhat related to the idea of, you know, watches are impossible to get, but now, Rolex is the perfect example. Lovely watches, very good, certainly something that'll make you happy. It's not the only watch out there. Uh, it might be if you're looking to send a particular message. But the bottom line is that Rolex does not appear to want your money very badly because their, you know, their sort of like implicit attitude is, thank you so much for your interest, but if you don't want what we have available for you, there's other people that want our products. You know, it's 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 not very uh it doesn't make the consumer feel very special or like it's a big deal that they're spending money over there. You know, it's like you're buying a, a mid range meal, like, Oh, it's just a meal. Don't, you know, don't fret so much about it when the Rolex is a big deal. And I've noticed that a lot of people leave in the experience of trying to buy a watch. That's difficult feeling bad about themselves. They feel Mm -hmm. I'm not good enough. Why don't they sell it to me? And I think this is really dangerous because when you get a watch, it's all about celebrating your ego. And mm-hmm. I, I, again, I don't, I don't want to say it in an offensive way, but when you buy a timepiece, you reward yourself, you celebrate yourself. It's a selfish, quasi-narcissistic, egotistical act in a in, in a safe way. It's not, a, it's not a hostile thing. It's you know, I mean, yeah. some people say, uh, "How dare you reward yourself with diamonds on your wrist?" But at the end of the day, you're celebrating yourself. Mm-hmm. 
So I think it's very, very important to remember during the buying process, you should feel good about yourself. If you leave and actually get a watch but feel bad about yourself or, you know, leave and don't have a watch and feel bad about yourself, you're going to be like, I guess watches don't make me feel very good. I'm going to go buy something that does. Maybe I'll invest in a motorcycle or something like that, which is basically the same money. Yeah. And I I worry about that. You know, I really worry about that. So I say to people – buy from brands or stores or whatever that seem to want your money. That's that's such a great point. And I think this could be one of the forces that may be able to turn this tide. Because, you know, if, if people actually ask themselves, like, oh, okay, I just entered this this posh boutique and I entered with the, with the hopes of buying a watch that I like. And then I realized that in one way or another, no matter how, you know, courteous they are and they sit me down and they, you know, whatever. And they, and they, they speak to me nicely. But at the end of the day, I, I leave that boutique feeling disappointed or angry or whatever, for whatever reason, why do people, and and, and this is even in my surroundings, I see people go back there because, oh, you know, I, I want this. I, I genuinely want it. But you know, you left the last time you left, you were feeling unhappy. Why would you go back there? And I'll go someplace else. You know, you have already worked hard for this money. So you have already struggled to be in a position where you can buy this. Why would you want to extend that struggle into the self-rewarding process? Well, you you asked rhetorically because, again, you actually kind of know the reason. Which is? Well, look, so much of the luxury industry is based upon this notion of making someone feel insecure when they're in the maison and saying, I want to be part of this maison. I want to own something. Oh, are you good enough to buy our luxury product? Like this has kind of like always been a part of it. And it's true that there's a lot of people, no matter how much money they can afford to spend, who get caught up in this game. It's it's uh it's a trick, it's a psychological trick, but it's they get hooked yeah. and they're trying to prove they're good enough. If someone is inherently insecure then this trick works really, really well. And the reason the luxury brands like it is because the more someone's hooked to trying to buy it, the less they're focused on the price. And the the biggest fear the luxury brands have, and you and I know this, is anytime someone starts to sniff around the price too much, <laughs> you know, it's <laughs> not not a good thing. So insecure customers that desperately want to do business with you uh, – tend to fuss about price less. Yeah, that's 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 all true and that's that's part of the game, but at the same time um, I was not talking about the brand's perspective, but the perspective of the customer goes there. Like my acquaintances, you know, who 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 tell me last time I was walking past the boutique and there was the line outside, a guy recognized me and he came to me and he started well, not shouting at me, but he was really upset that he couldn't buy a steel Daytona. And I was I was looking at it and I'm like, why are you telling me this? And why is this why is this even a even a problem? I mean, okay, maybe maybe look, you look, want look. that watch or maybe you like it, but I, I really genuinely doubt that you like that watch this much. I don't know exactly from a psychological mechanism. I haven't really thought it through, but this is what I do know because multiple watch retailers have told me if you say no to someone who is not used to hearing no, which is usually someone who has a lot of money because people say yes to them, they freak out and they want you to say yes. It's literally a trap. It's the game of saying no to people who aren't used to hearing no. 
And yeah. that's how you hook them. I don't know why it works, but that's what's going on. Yeah, that's that's to me that sounds totally um, reasonable and, and and believable. But why would you want to do that to a person who cannot buy what you're selling because you don't have that in stock? You know, you don't you don't need that guy there in the line because you already have fifteen of them, and it's not Look, like you can serve them. Brands just, like Richard Mill in a lot of ways, have some other popularity based upon this concept. Going to someone who can buy anything and they say, we want to buy this. They're like, no. <laughs> it's like Philippe does the same thing. Right, I, I just have to have one. I'm super rich. I get everything I ask for. No. Yeah. I, and it's I like think, the easiest thing in the world. All yeah. they need to do is say no. And the other person says, but what do you mean? I want it. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, that, that was so funny when I... When I I'll when pay I, double. The, the day when they launched the um, the, the Nautilus, uh, Tiffany & Co., you know, in steel, the, the last, 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 last Nautilus or whatever it's called, and it's 170 iterations. And that's just such a random and I- incredibly low amount, low number, right? And it was almost like, it was literally like like oil on fire, you know, like 170. We could, we could make 1,170, but we're making 170. So literally nobody can have one. It's it's basically, I'm not saying that they were spitting people in the face, but they don't have to, and they don't even have to put a number at all. Why even say how many you're making? It's such a game. Why yeah. even say it? Yeah. <laughs> Before we go any further, a quick announcement, and we thought we would tell you, the listeners of the podcast, all about it first. A blog to watch is hiring. We are looking for a social media manager to look after all the Instagram, Facebook, comment section, the website all the social media stuff that you can think of. So if you're interested, get your CV together and any relevant experience and email the boss man himself, Ariel, at ablogtowatch.com. We really look forward to hearing from you. So with that done, it's back to the show. So anyway, I, what I'm really fascinated by is, again, not the game the brands are pay, uh, playing. It's it's none of that. It's not the psychology that they are, they are uh, leaning on. It's speaking to the customer or or, or, the, or the guy or the gal in the in the line outside the boutique and telling them hey you had this bad experience once you had this bad experience twice go somewhere else and i'm saying what you were saying but in another way and go somewhere where they take your money and be proud of the fact that you have rewarded yourself and you are wearing a brand that wants you and you want that why would you want to be in this abusive kind of relationship basically with a brand and be reminded of that every single time when you wear that watch. It's just because they, they keep thinking anybody who wants my money isn't good enough for me. You know, it goes back to the whole Groucho Marx thing saying who wants to be, you know, you don't want to be a member of a club that wants you to be a member there. And I think that that's a very real insecurity. You really got to know your stuff. You got to know watches. You got to know your commodities. You got to know, you know, what you're talking about to know that this is a brand that wants my money and, isn't a little bit too excited about getting my money. But again, this is this is also circling back to the point that a lot of these, and I'm not I'm not I'm not judging here, I'm just saying that this seems logical to me. A lot of these customers are not buying these products for the product. Because if you actually just wanted a really nice wash that was beautifully made and you could go out and spend that money on so many other watches. It's so difficult these days to buy a bad watch, whatever the price. You know, it's a, you can buy an amazing watch for three hundred dollars or three thousand, and for thirty thousand, there are so many amazing and beautifully made watches that are actually available. So if you just wanted 
a great watch that is beautifully made and has a nice movement and a cool case and novel materials and whatever else, you name it, you can go out and you can get it from Brand X, or if it's not Brand X, then it's Brand Y or whatever. But, but no, the number of that's... people that know that, that know what hmm. constitutes a good watch, knows it from the components and the performance or the functionality design, is small. It's like you and I and a few hundred other people around the world. I mean, let's face it, like the average person can't look at a watch and be like, <clears throat> good, bad. They're like, recognize, yes or no. Does it look like something else you know? I mean, there's not that much that they can do to evaluate it unless they really know the topic. Like, you're giving them a bit too much credit, I think. Yeah, I'm not sure about a few hundred. I'm, I'm sure that there's like, you know, tens of thousands of people out there who well, know their watches, but still. It's it's a joke on sort of how niche it is. Like, yeah, there's, it is niche. you know, there are probably only a few hundred people out there that have actually seen the number of watches that we've seen. That's true. Okay? Yeah. And there are definitely thousands of people out there, you know, tens of thousands that know the hobby, know the models, have read the stories and things like that. But, you know, the amount of education required to be like a sophisticated watch, you know, uh, I don't know, aficionado, I guess you could say, connoisseur, whatever word you want to use. Um, it's not insignificant. You can't be like a week a weekend watch enthusiast. Like it does yeah. not work. There isn't like know these ten things and no watches. Like it's. So, I I wish it could be that way. It's just not at, at any way, shape, or form. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I, I. Yeah. When it boils down to recognize yes or no, then yeah, that that really narrows down the options. It is true, and that's where marketing comes in, and that's where brand recognition comes in. But. Yeah. I, I, so Did you wh- see any missed yeah. New Year's resolutions uh, out there? Like anything you think that we could have talked about that was an interesting thing? I really liked what Benjamin wrote actually in the article um, that, you know, he, he said that um, I like to carry forward my formation habit of wearing a different watch every single day. I'm also going to make an effort to wear everything I own, even the weird stuff I bought on foreign eBay a decade ago under questionable circumstances. <laughs> You know, that, that that's cool because it is true that I have like four or five watches laying around <laughs> that I, I never wear and I guess I should. It's a good point. The, uh, the, the, the maybe not quite sober purchase you made late at night online, is that, is that what we're talking about? <laughs> I don't want a 4.8 eBay. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> I remember um, when I first started getting into watches a long time ago, I would buy stuff on eBay that I would forget about. Sometimes because it just took a while to ship, and there'd be stuff that would arrive. I'd be like, I don't even remember getting this. <laughs> <laughs> there, there's, I, I, that probably still happens to some people out there. And you know what? If you want to do what I did, which was go on eBay and only buy watches under a certain price point. I mean, I was in college. Okay, I was like 20 years old at the time. Um, you know, first getting on to eBay. It was yeah, it was 20. I was I, I was like I was t- 2002. Um, and, you know, I was just buying like inexpensive stuff and it was a great way to learn. That's almost a better way, in my opinion, than to just look at Instagram and see what people post. I, 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 there's something, there's something actually to be said. Like you actually make a joke about it, but like just buying random watches, there's something to be said about that as a way to get into the hobby. <laughs> I'm not sure that would catch on, but yeah, that would be, that would be great. If someone can Why not that. though? Why Ooh. not? Let's say your, your maximum budget is like 200 bucks. 
okay? And every couple of weeks, you buy something that appeals to you that's under $200, even if you're just trying to like measure a style. Forget if it's like a Rolex Submariner lookalike. Who cares? You know it's not the real thing, not a replica, just some type of lookalike, if you know what I mean. Just to see if the style matches you. Maybe you'll love it, maybe you'll hate, hate it. Like, you know, you spend 10 grand, you know, to, to sample that style. Yeah, I'm not sure about 10 grand, but at the same time, I think that that's, that's a nice That's idea. what the Submariner costs. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, I wouldn't. Yeah, I wouldn't do that. I I always find it not funny, but it, it's kind of weird when someone has. You can tell that someone is very young and has no idea about watches and is wearing an expensive watch. And uh, I I really genuinely don't want to make this sound condescending, but I feel like I wish that you know they wouldn't have that watch because you know the the journey that takes you to that watch and to appreciating how that watch is made and why that watch is like the way it is 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 an exciting journey. And backwards, it's, it's. I don't think it's as much fun, right? So, so well, it's like the dad that gets his sixteen-year-old boy the the Rolex or even the Patek, and where do you go from there? What do you buy as their next one? Like a more expensive version of it? Like yeah, exactly. Like one of the things that I've heard that makes the most sense when it comes to your kids is. Yeah, make sure they have watches, but like get them like humble watches. You know, give them some of your pass me downs. Like you have to make sure that the kids like have to chase and and do the hunt and start from a relatively low level themselves. If you're a dad or a mom out there and you want to be good to your young kid and get them a nice watch, it's a totally nice feeling. But make sure that they have the rest of their life to have something else to look forward to. Because mm. if you get them the top of the heap right away, yeah. They're not going to be watch collectors. They're going to be like, oh, I've had the good stuff. I don't care. And that's actually what happens. Yeah, that's a very, very good point. I, I, I agree with you 100%. Okay, so we talked about New Year's resolutions. Now let's talk about what actually happens in the new year. I mean, New Year's are, you know, an, it's an arbitrary calendar thing. The watch industry has been doing the same thing for, you know, hundreds of years in some instance. What, you know, when, when the new year happens, what actually goes on? And, and there's a few things we're talking about Rolex prices in a second. You know, there's this idea that there's new watches that are going to be released. There's the 2021 releases and the 2022 releases. And right now, still during the pandemic with supply shortages and all kinds of weird stuff, it's kind of unclear. It all blends together. It's not like, you know, in March, we're going to know every one of the new watches. We're going to know a lot of new watches <laughs> by the end of March and early April, but it it might be half or less of mm. what is going to come out for the rest of the year. There's going to be tons and tons of other things like that. So that is one thing that, of course, um, happens each new year. But like, what are some things that like genuinely happen each year uh, when it comes to the watch industry or watch collectors? Well, what I'm looking forward to is Watches and Wonders, and I had to Google its dates a bunch of times because I just don't believe it's happening this year. <laughs> Has it been canceled yet? Oh, okay, yeah. good. It's still on. Yeah. It's still on. It's still on for the time being. Yeah. Oh boy, I, I'm not sure if that's going to actually happen, but I so hope that it will. I, I, I speak speak positive thoughts, David. You and I have to go back to Geneva. The whole team wants to go to Geneva. We got we got to do this. Yeah. Got to speak speak as though it's going to happen. I miss our Geneva struggles and inconvenience so much. I'm ready for the next day. <laughs> and after we complain about that, then we talk about Basel, yeah. the Basel days. What a, well, we're, yeah. never gonna, we're never going to go back to Basel. I, don't, I really don't think we're ever going to be in that city again. I don't mean that in a bad way. I'm just like I don't think our travels take us there ever again. Wow, that's that's wow. I'm, I'm feel so happy and I feel so privileged that I, I've been to Basel like five six times. My, I don't know, 
We've been more than any tourist will ever believe, you know? Like, if you're just a tourist <laughs> and you've traveled to different cities. Why and there's, you there's go some, there so many times? It's an old city. Yeah. You've been there 10 times? <laughs> what? <laughs> it's too bad that they don't give it's you It's like, like if you went to, like, Sacramento a whole bunch of times. <laughs> it's the capital of California here. That I, There are things. But, like, nobody, no no tourist ever goes there more than, like, one time. <laughs> more than 10 times. <laughs> Okay, so okay, so well, yeah, so there are there are some shows to look forward to. Um, there isn't really so much of a consumer element there, but they look forward to it. You know, we have trained the audience to know that you know around Basel World Time, a now defunct show, uh, you're going to expect uh, I don't know fifty, a hundred, maybe more new watches, and they get to. It's like new watch week for them. It's like a freaking crazy excited thing, and they get to figure out what they want to buy and look forward to. Yeah. Now it's like oh. Um, there's going to be some new watches uh, next week, and then the week after that, maybe a few more. Mm. I actually think it's bad for the consumer. Like the, the industry is so excited about, it. they're like, "Oh, well, we get to we get to have news cycle all the time and always release new watches." But I actually think the consumers are paralyzed now. Like they used to have one time where they could look at all the watches for the most part, make their decision. Now it's like they're scared. Like I can't buy a watch because in two weeks, something else I might want will come out. Exactly. I, I actually think that's going on. All right. There, there, there are two two elements to that. Um, one, it, it is true that that puts pressure on people. Two, like I said, there there's a great greater number of great watches now than probably ever. In the sense that, yeah, there's a good chance that in two weeks or three weeks or a month from now, there will be another great watch. Whereas before, maybe it's just maybe it's just things that are resonating with my taste in watches. But it, but still, that that's my sentiment, you know. And just because I'm, all these great watches are not dumped on the market or you know just in front of us at, at one time, I would still be burned out. You know, I would just go to Basel or go to Geneva and be like, okay, I've seen forty different great watches or twenty, let's say twenty great watches. I would still have to choose one because I can only afford one, right? So yeah, sure, it's great to be able to choose from those twenty and not be, you know, uh, pressured by the, the the sentiment that next week will come the nineteenth and the eighteenth and the whatever great watch, right? So that's true. And what I wanted to also say is that these events like Geneva, you know, uh, like Watches and Wonders and Miles Award, to me, I, you know, I think they are important for the industry. It's it's a celebration of the industry. All the Britons are there. It's like. It's, it's high emotions. It's, it's a high concentration of watches in the watch industry. And it's, you know, I think that's important. It's important for the car world, for the tech world, even. So, yeah, I do miss that for that reason. I'm going to do at Watches and Wonders sort of what we did at Dubai Watch Week 2021, which was do a bunch of recordings of interviews for some podcasts, um, some of which we've already released. Maybe all of them will be released by the time people listen to this episode. Um, it's a lot of content out there. But I think that that should be one of the ways that we record the journey because we've always wanted to take the audience there. And video is one way of doing it, but it's not like we can wear like a webcam on our head. They certainly don't have the internet access for that. So if we go ahead and do... I think more podcast style, we can bring people with us. And I think that's one of my resolutions for the year is to make more content that allows people to truly experience what we're experiencing, to, to very uh, to very much um, live a sympathetic existence with what we're doing to cover watches. Because I think that so much of our journey and what we have to do isn't really clear. And, oh, hey, here's a hands-on of a watch. It's like, 
how do we get there? What do we have to do to, to shoot the watch and things like that? Who, who are we talking to that was showing us the watch? Um, I, anyways, I think that's going to be a really exciting thing to do at, at Watches and Wonders. That would be very cool and something to look forward to for sure. So the last thing which happens that we want to talk about each year is price increases, which hey. usually isn't something to think about because a watch doesn't have a price increase. This is actually a rare thing. What I mean by that is a watch comes out and it's only produced for so many years that there isn't a normal opportunity for a, a watch company to say, let's increase the price by, uh, I, I don't know, a little bit of money, a few percentage points, you know, one or $200. But it does happen from time to time with watches that are produced on, you know, a regular basis. And Rolex, in addition to Patek Philippe uh, and Omega and things like that, are the companies that do institute price increases um, with models that, you know, they came out, for example, at $8,000 and next month they are, you know, in, in the next in the new year they're going to be $8,200. This, this does happen. And it happens in funny ways that don't always make sense. Oftentimes consumers feel that brands raise the prices at the least opportune times and the brands increase prices when they think they can get away with it. And Rolex um, didn't do a total catalog price increase, to my knowledge, but they did institute a relatively hefty price increase for 2022 on some models. Davis, tell us more details. Yeah, so and there was this nice um, um, collection of, of, of the different price increases by Watch It Official on Instagram. And uh, it's just a nice little chart that I'm looking at right now and I will go through on, on the other models and, and write my own take on this. But basically the takeaway is that a lot of the um, uh, very uh, popular steel models had a price increase between 10, 10 and 11%, which is, you know, a big chunk of money, you know, on, on the deep sea, the Daytona, the Milgaus, the Explorer, the Submariner, the Explorer 2, and the GMT Master 2. They all uh, have, you know, 10, 11% price increases. I, I guess that's, that's a big deal. Yeah. Like that is that is more than inflation. Mm. Rolex does increase prices and things like that. That's a pretty hefty amount. Do you think people are surprised, shocked, just given the fact that Rolex has been so popular? Uh, I don't think they are. I, I I don't think they need to be. You know, you go to the to boutique and, and you know, if I have a Rolex and I could see that you know, hey, everyone is buying our watches left and right for double or at least fifty percent over retail, then why the heck not increase? I this thing this this is a safe move, and uh, you know they need they they are they are a company. I mean, they're not a publicly owned company. But they do leave off their profits, so you know why not? I mean, this is a very, very. Scary. It's hard to it's hard to feel that they needed to do this. Let's be honest. Mm. But yeah, but uh, that sounds like they should be just not doing that. But why? Why would they not? If you were a company, any company, and you could safely meaning that, you know, this would not circle back or fire back and and result in you having to discount the inflated prices or anything, it, but very safely and confidently increase your prices by 10%. Which company out there wouldn't do that, irrespective of whether they need to do it or not do that? Well, okay, let's continue to explore it because, again, it's controversial, to say the least, to do it as much. Do you think that someone is making the argument, well, a traditional way of reducing demand has been to increase prices? So if you think that there's too much demand for Rolex and too many people want them, we'll just increase the price and theoretically that will reduce demand. I'm not saying it will, but do you think someone out there might be thinking that? Um, if they were, I don't think that this price increase w w was enough for that. 
to attain that. 10% is, is nothing uh, in, in my mind to, to actually do that. When, like I say, all these watches that I highlighted for like this 10% increase that are affected by it, they are selling for 40, 50% easy, 40, 50% over retail online. Brand new. Well, yes, it's true that they're being posted for that amount, but we don't have a lot of specific information to prove that they're actually selling for that amount. Yeah, I think I think that when when that is where prices actually start and go from uh, go up from there, I think we can be you know pretty confident that they are selling for those prices or near those prices. And again, even if they weren't a ten percent increase, they're still like a thirty forty percent headroom for Rolex. So I think this is a very very safe move, and I don't think you know uh, yeah it could chill the demand a tiny little bit. Maybe it would just give like people a sticker shock when they see you know the prices in the window and not even enter the store, which could actually help. But you know, just because you know um, a GMT Master is not eight and a half thousand, but nine and a half thousand or whatever. I know you know if you have eight and a half thousand and you want a Rolex and you wanted it for years, you will find another thousand. I think not not everyone, but 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 at least some some enough people out there for Rolex is what I'm saying. Okay, so let's put some of these price increases into real-world numbers. I'd like it if you took the the name of a Rolex model, mm. mentioned last year's price, and the new price for, again, the precisely same watch. Yeah, um, so here the currency is pounds, and British pounds, but I will do my own research in, in dollars. But it's like 7,500 uh, pounds for a GMT Master II, um, the Pepsi. BL, uh, BLRO, and it goes to 8,400. So 7,500 to 8,400. So that's 11.3%. So that's a lot. That's a big, big chunk. It is a big chunk. So I was looking at the Submariner. Uh, this is the no date version. So this would technically be the, you know, the, the entry level price. Yeah. Um, and this is the new version of the watch. So this is a new model that came out last year. Yeah. And when it came out, this is the reference 124060 yeah. Rolex Submariner. The price was $8,100. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we wrote this article, a hands-on by you uh, and me, August 31st, 2020. Okay, so that's when this one came out. So okay, so two, so you know, not quite two years ago, um, but a little while ago. Yeah. Now on the Rolex website, the price for the same watch is eight thousand nine hundred and fifty dollars, an eight hundred and fifty dollar increase wow. on the base level Submariner. So that's a, you know that's that's a ten percent increase right there. About that. Yeah, not that long ago, the no date Submariner was seventy five hundred, and now it's basically nine thousand. Yeah, seventy five hundred was the price not too long ago, um, and the date is eighty five. Now, now this is maybe I'm just shocked at the amount that Rolex increased their prices is not in and of itself a shocking revelation. This thing happens all the time, but it is something which it it, it wonders how much it is. I guess opportunistically, um, because you're right. It's sort of like they can get away with it, and this goes back to the statement I made earlier about brands that seem you want your money. On the one hand, Rolex can't sell enough watches. But on the other hand, they have to increase their prices. It's sort of a slap in the face to the market. Yes, Rolex has an obligation to maintain its Rolex positioning, and it has to make sure that it's just 
slightly out of reach enough. So there is a psychological component that I don't understand that relates to their pricing and demand and stuff like that, that you and I will just never know because we don't have all the data that they have. But at the same time, I think sort of as a consumer, uh, we can even see the, the the retailers, you know, sitting there whistling, being like, oh, wow, 10%? Well, I, I guess that's good for us. But like being in somewhat disbelief uh, that that this would happen. And Again, I just I continue to think about uh, this. I mean, look the 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 Cosmograph Daytona. Um, I think it was like twelve something. It's fourteen thousand five hundred and fifty dollars right now. Wow, fourteen five. Um, That's yeah. So fourteen five for the Daytona with the the steel one with the uh, the black ceramic bezel. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. I, I, again, I don't remember the last price point, but I. I think it was, you know, significantly under that. That's that's a thousand dollar increase, and at least. What if I told you it's the same amount in euros, fourteen thousand four hundred euros for that watch? Interesting. So it's actually more expensive to buy that watch in Europe than uh, America. Yeah, it's always been like that, but you know, it's 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 shocking to see that it's because of the uh, the uh, stupendously high VATs here. But yeah, it's, it's still, you know, the Oyster Perpetual forty one. Mm. Um, now the price is six thousand one hundred and fifty dollars. I, I want to say it was about fifty five hundred, maybe fifty four hundred, maybe fifty six hundred. In the UK, that's listed at a three point two percent increase. So for some reason, there it was in that the OP forty one is is listed at only three point two percent. But who knows? Yeah. Okay. Let me see it's just, it's interesting to see this. Again, Rolex doesn't send out a press release, right? They're not like, hey, everyone, we just want you to know about our new price increases. Like, this is, I don't want to say secret inf- information, but it's definitely information that, um, you know, we have to hunt for. Like, we knew it was coming. We heard about Pro- Rolex price increases, um, you know, a little while ago. No one, you know, no one necessarily shares what they're going to be. And now that we sort of see it, you know, we have to sort of go on the website and check and or look at some of these charts that, that you know, that some people make. But this is just one of those things that happens each year. And so if you are deciding your watch purchases for the year or you're a, a collector and, you know, you have a certain budget, maybe the watch you wanted is out of your budget, uh, you know. And what do you do if you were on a waiting list and, you know, you thought you were buying it at one price and now it's a different price? I'm just saying that a, a price increase, in addition to things like you know upsetting some people, it has a lot of interesting ramifications, especially at, at, at prices like ten percent. Yeah, I find it kind of ridiculous the way this industry operates. Like if you go and buy a car, and you put your name and uh, you know and some money down on it, and they deliver it next year, you're still paying the contractual amount, right? It's not like oh, we just raised prices. Sorry, you know, you you actually have a contract. But here, it's like this shady waiting list where you don't know where you are and you know nobody cares where you are you will get it when they want to give it to you and then that's it you know it's not like you can keep track of it it's not like we will be manufacturing a watch in like you know april next year like like with cars you know like we have an allocation for this and that day and then you can configure your car and then we will deliver to you afterwards no here it's like you just have to wait sit around and wait and uh that's very hostile to me, uh, as far as I'm concerned. It can be, and I think it's an important thing to talk about because usually, when it talks about the hobby, people want to be positive, and they want to talk about, you know, the fun of it and wearing the watches and and all the cool things they'll do when they have it. But the reality is that there's been a lot of frustration over the last year, and buying a watch 
we've noticed that it's been reflected in the resolutions that both people on the Blog to Watch team as well as the community have mentioned that they're a little bit more cautious in the buying process. And if you look between the lines, I think that they're starting to uh, take a little bit of a stand against those watches that are difficult to get or that they don't really want. Um, you know, when someone says, I want to be more conservative with my purchases, maybe what they're saying, in fact, I think what a lot of them are saying is, we don't want to succumb to the hype machine. We want to buy watches that we like, not buy watches that we're told to like, because that doesn't lead to uh, a lot of happiness. And 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 that's that's interesting. So it's interesting to look at the, the resolutions, not just as a reflection of what's on people's minds, but as a reflection of what people experienced in the year before and things that people don't want to experience in 2022, I recommend that everyone listening uh, go and look at the article um, uh, on the Block to Watch website, which is our watch collecting resolutions for 2022 from December 29th, 2021. David, thank you so much for joining me on this episode of the Superlative Podcast. Thank you, and don't succumb to the hype machine. <laughs> okay, bye everyone. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Superlative Podcast. Support the show by subscribing and rating it on your preferred podcast platform. For questions, comments, and ideas, please email the show at superlative at ablogtowatch.com. For the latest in watch news, reviews, and culture, visit ablogtowatch.com. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.